Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Okay, welcome to this webinar, which is focusing on GP um, practice fellowship. Um, can I welcome our panel, who I'll introduce in a minute? Um, thank you all for joining us. This will be recorded um, and made available afterwards, both as a video podcast, but also will be available as an audio podcast and will also make the slides available. So thank you very much for giving up your time to come to this this evening. Um, I just want to set the scene uh, before we start, which is um, a couple of years ago, I did a review of the partnership model of general practice for the Secretary of State. And what, what we found was that the key issues for general practice were workforce, workload and risk. And actually, the solution to all these things is to make general practice a better place to work. That's how we're going to get more people working in general practice and make it the recruitment and retention more stable. What we also found talking to younger GPs was many were concerned about the future. They saw going into GP partnership as a risk. They saw a very uncertain future um, and not feeling at that stage they were willing to commit to a substantive post. They felt that both partnership and salaried options for some gave lack of flexibility and felt that becoming a locum was seen as less risk and more flexible. But actually, in terms of general practice going forward, the recommendations were built on trying to address some of those challenges. And many who finish their GP training don't feel they're ready to commit to partnership, but may be ready to commit to salaried posts um, if they offered more than just coming straight out of training into something um, which is seen as being uh, inflexible. So we developed the concept of what we originally called GP preceptorship, but nobody understood what the word preceptorship meant. So we then changed it to GP fellowship. And that was developed in partnership with NHS England, the Department of Health, the GPC, the General Practitioners Committee, the BMA, and the Royal College of GPs. And that came in the final uh, recommendations of the GP partnership review and also Parallel to that was NHS England's long-term plan, and it was adopted as one of the recommendations in the long-term plan. So it gives me great pleasure that this um, scheme has now been um, published and has been implemented. And what we hope to do tonight is to find out some more details and explore some of the questions which may remain unanswered. So Louise, would you just like to do a bit of housekeeping before we ask Faye to kick off? Yes, thanks, Nigel. Just to say that um, if you can put any questions that you've got in the Q&A box, please, not the chat box. So use the Q&A box and all panellists and all attendees can see the questions and we can ask them as we go um, and ask them afterwards. And we'll certainly, if there's any um, unanswered questions, we'll sort that out afterwards and put up a little FAQ um, with the recorded webinar and the audio podcast. OK, thanks, Nigel. Thank you. So can I introduce our first um, panellist who's going to um, talk about the scheme, who's Faye Sins, who works for NHS England, who's leading on this, um, the implementation of it across England. So Faye, would you like to, to go ahead? Excellent. Thanks for the introduction, Nigel. So uh, as you said there, my name is Faye Sims. I'm Head of Primary Care Workforce at NHS England and Improvement. So what does that actually mean? Um, I am responsible for delivering the manifesto commitment of growing the GP workforce by 6,000. So uh, that commitment that the, the Conservatives made and kind of prior to that was uh, a slightly smaller figure. So uh, 5,000 uh, GPs uh, through the long-term plan. That sits with uh, my team and I and so what we do is uh, create and deliver uh, a series of recruitment and retention initiatives for GPs uh, and each of those contributes in in a way uh, to the numbers that overall number of uh, 6,000. So can I go on to that first uh, slide please thank you very much. So I think Nigel has set some of this out and there will be some things that I share through this presentation that you feel really familiar with already. So apologies um, if I repeat things that you, you already know, but hopefully through this presentation, what I can do is just set out some of the, the kind of the basics of, of what the scheme is. And then that will um, respond to some of the questions. And then there's the time um, a bit later to um, ask some more or anything that I don't cover. 
So as Nigel set out there, the, the GP partnership review um, suggested this as a scheme and then it was uh, taken forward as a, uh, into the NHS long-term plan. It was then um, further uh, recommended through the GP contract and it became a contractual commitment at that point. So that was in February of this year. So that picture on the left there, that's uh, the front cover of the guidance, and that was published in August of this year. So that's available now. Uh, these slides will go out afterwards, so you can follow that, uh, that link um, and there's some other links and, uh, to some different information contained within. So you can follow that up afterwards. So what exactly is it? I think Nigel has started to describe some of it. It's a support offer for newly qualified GPs and nurses as well, uh, working in general practice. It's a two-year programme of support. So it's not clinical education. We are definitely of the view that uh, GPs leave CCT practice ready. So this isn't about any of those skills. It's about those broader uh, opportunities to be supported, have kind of helpful conversations, know where to go if you uh, need to talk to somebody, you've got a bit of a concern, you, you maybe feel a little bit isolated or want to question a decision. It's also about um, having some learning and development opportunities. So as Nigel said, uh, maybe young people feel like mm, not quite ready for a partnership role. So it starts to... Uh, you know, share some of those skills in leadership and practice management and so forth. And then the third element is about partnership, uh, portfolio working, sorry. So thinking about where else could you work? What else could you do? How can I experience different types of leadership without doing that thing of going straight into locoming, which might not always be the best opportunity for, for young people. So, I've written this guidance. I've also made some money available. Who does the money go to? So the money is available to systems. So ICSs and STPs. So they're responsible for ensuring that there is a fellowship offer in place within their, their footprint. Um, but it's up to them to decide who delivers that. So they may have some staff in-house who could do it, but also they might want to uh, utilize a training hub or a federation, a group of PCNs. So it's up to, uh, to uh, the system as a commissioner to decide how they want to take that forward but they do need to make sure that that, that offer is in place and it, it meets the framework. So how do we know that this works? Uh, so what we did was in 1920 um, we had a couple of proof of concept systems uh, deliver a, a quite a big um, fellowship offer to give us the feedback to tell us how actually uh, how it implemented, what were the lessons learned, how did they want to take that forward. So that was um, BLMK, Bedfordshire, Luton, Milton Keynes, ICS, and also Humber, Coast and Vale. Uh, they were an STP at the time, but uh, are now an ICS. So we took some learning from, from them um, and we've captured some of that and I'll refer to that shortly. Could we get the next slide? Thank you. So who is it for? So it's for newly qualified uh, GPs and nurses. So this isn't an offer for mid-career. We have a, a series of offers, um, kind of as I described earlier, to support GPs at different uh, points within their career. So this is very much focused at that point where you leave training and you join uh, a, a substantive position. Why do we need that? Well, you might be surprised. I was kind of surprised to hear that uh, once GPs have finished qualification, that loss in them taking on a permanent position is 9%. So we train up, well, 3,250 and kind of increasing as the years go on, uh, GPs each year. There will be uh, a loss within training, so some that kind of give up partway through, but of all of those who qualify, so maybe around about 3,000 each year, 9% don't make it into the workforce. And some of that might be because they locum, some might be pre-COVID that they go travelling or take a role uh, in Australia or whatever their options are, but there are uh, a number who just never really make it as a career. And we'd like to think that uh, through this supportive offer, it, uh, general practice becomes an attractive place and not that it isn't attractive, but you know, they feel like they're going to have a, a softer landing, if you like, um, as they take that kind of first step in their career. So that individual needs to have qualified in the last 12 months. And that's kind of, that's on a, on a rolling basis. So if somebody were to uh, uh, ask to join the scheme, as long as they have qualified within that time, then, then that's absolutely fine. Um, it does need to be a substantive contract. So that can be 
salaried or it could also be a partner as well so you could be on this scheme and the new partnership payment scheme at the same time um, and you need to be working in primary care so it's not for uh, secondary or or elsewhere so what do you get so if you're on the scheme so i started to outline some of this before so we group it into these three categories here i'm going to talk about each of them uh, a little bit more if we just in a bit more detail if we switch on to the next slide so each of those one, two, three that were just on that previous slide are kind of down the, that left-hand uh, column there. So this is the framework for this year. And I say this year because actually uh, fellowships launched in December 2019 um, and it was a much smaller offer at that time because we wanted to allow people to get something established that was simpler uh, to kind of get underway as quickly as possible so that they had an offer and they could start to uh, support their young clinicians as soon as possible. So we've really expanded that uh, this time round. Uh, so all of those original components still exist, uh, but we've added some more on. So when you were delivering this, so, you know, if you are a training hub, if you're a system, um, you know, whoever is taking it forward within your patch, you have to deliver something against every single one of these. So in that component column there, there's 10 individual items and you have to do them all. How you do them is up to you. So that's where the autonomy comes in. So, uh, for example, if we take peer support, you could say uh, in the early days, because it's easy to kind of get established and, you know, uh, as the budget comes through or, or, or kind of whatever your driver is, I'm going to set up a WhatsApp group or potentially a Facebook, uh, you know, use some social media to get um, people connected and talking to one another and sharing their uh, experiences and, and advice and then kind of moving on, you know, as you kind of uh, uh, a little bit further down the line in terms of uh, delivery, you might decide that you want to uh, deliver some uh, formal action learning sets, perhaps on a quarterly basis, or even getting uh, the next gen GP uh, group to come and deliver some of those inspirational talks and, and uh, you know, again, grow those connections. So, you know, it's up to you as a, a system, as an organisation, how you want to take that forward. And also there's room for you to grow. So it can it can change uh, as, as kind of time goes on and your offer matures. So I think if you are someone who is looking to deliver this, you need to think about what is your, what's your scope? How are you going to draw this out? So for each of those components, what is your offer? What is it that you're going to do? So that's the support and networking. So each uh, participant has a good induction. They have a named person uh, that mentors or, or supervises them. At some point, they have access to, to coaching and then they have that peer uh, support as well. So then if we move down into that learning and development section there. So these um, um, items are things that, that we, and I say we, that's uh, Samira was on our design team and RCGP, the Q&I, RCN. So uh, a big uh, group of us extracted what we thought were the, the kind of key topics that people would want to have some learning and development on at this time. So again, how you take that forward is up to you. Clearly right now, we're not going to be having uh, very many in-room uh, big session learning days, uh, but we can have some online learning as well. Um, so, you know, it's up to you to how you want to take that forward, but also you might want to have a bit of a mix and match as kind of time moves on and we're allowed to, to get back into the room physically. And then that third thing on the list is um, portfolio rotational working. So we, I think our preference is that we, that you would keep that within your PCN, certainly within uh, the, the early days. I'm thinking about, um, so, you know, I've got a GP uh, who's interested in a particular thing that, that your uh, practice uh, delivers. And so they would like to spend some time with you and, and vice versa. So different people can work in different places to experience that different type of leadership, different ways of working, different settings, and kind of stretch and, and, and broaden their skills. Next slide, please. So I know that this is really teeny tiny writing, and I don't expect you to necessarily be able to read it here, but it is going to be there for you to reference back. It's also um, a direct lift from the guidance itself. So I've kind of squished two slides into one, but just to, to, to make the point. Now, delivering in this way is completely 
not compulsory. It's up to you how you prefer to, to take your offer forward. This is just a recommendation from me and is learning from um, the BLMK system, who were one of the proof of concepts. So one of the things that we were a little bit uh, kind of concerned about was when you're new to general practice, you know, you're new in post, and then all of a sudden I come along and go, right, you've got this fellowship and you've got to do some portfolio work and you've got to do this and I want you to do some shadowing. And it just kind of becomes, you know, you become overfaced. So this is about breaking it down across um, the, the two years. Um, and I'm not going to read this all out in detail, but just to kind of give a, a demonstration, on that first six months, we're really focused on that support and networking to get you feeling like you belong here and, and, you know, who do you talk to if you have a challenge, where can you go to for advice and start to build your PDP, meet your mentor and think about how, where you would like to spend your portfolio working opportunity versus that kind of peach coloured uh, section uh, on the right hand side which is your final six months at that point you should be really uh, have some uh, advanced leadership development underway perhaps you might even do the online Edward Jenner scheme that the leadership academy delivers um, and be able to take uh, projects forward on behalf of your your PCN you still have the access to your mentor you're still attending regular um networking sessions but you can see how uh, the offer can grow across the two years so that you don't kind of get uh, everything uh, placed on you all at one time next slide please so the money uh, we get lots of questions about <laughs> this one so uh, i try to make it as simple as possible so if you're the only person who is on the scheme um i'm saying that you should uh participate in fellowships for one session a week uh, if you work full-time. So um, if you're the employer, do you want to pay somebody you know, for that session where you're not going to actually get any delivery for uh, just to release them? Well, possibly not. You know, some might. <laughs> but the, the intention here is that every person on the scheme uh, is reimbursed for one session per week. And that's so that they can go and do the learning and development stuff so that they can go and have a conversation with their mentor so they can go and, and do some portfolio opportunities and, you know, maybe do some self-learning. However, you know, you agree that, that that time can be utilized to deliver that, that framework. So how then do we pay for the learning and development and for somebody to, to run the scheme and administer it? So we're saying um, there's £3,000 per participant again pro rata in order to deliver the activities of the scheme so the practice the employer gets reimbursement if they want to spend that on backfield they can but it's not you know they're not obliged to and then the system or whoever is delivering this on behalf of the system the training hub they get three thousand pounds per participant to organize it all get the people registered uh, let people know that the scheme exists how do they you know join and um, all of those things that's at three thousand pounds per head so i calculate based on a sixty-five thousand pound starting salary for a gp and a thirty-four thousand starting salary for a nurse that that's £10,200 a year for GPs and 6800 for nurses. So that's the total cost per head. Now that's for one year. Remember, it's a two-year scheme, and so you would access that for you know the first year, and then you get that that lump of money again uh, for their second year as well. So you 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 know you don't need to stretch that cost across the two-year time period. Uh, you get that uh, for the two years. Now, there's just one little extra bit uh, to mention about the money. So the supporting mentor scheme. So uh, that bottom right box is uh, uh, another guidance. I seem to like those uh, front covers. Uh, um, and that was launched at the same time as the fellowship scheme because they sit together hand in hand. And again, this is a, a GP contract uh, commitment. And the intention being that we... Uh, try and find a way of creating some of the mentors to serve this scheme. One of the uh, feedback from the proof of concepts was we love the fact that uh, each participant would have access to a mentor, but we just don't have enough mentors to be able to serve uh, this scheme. So what we have developed there is that mentors uh, would have money to be trained. So we ideally um, an ILM level five in coaching and mentoring or equivalent 
Um, and also we will reimburse uh, those mentors for one session per week to mentor the fellows on this scheme. And that mentorship scheme has got a separate pot of money. So in addition to that stuff across the top there, the, the 3000 plus the, the reimbursement for a session a week, you've also got for, for GPs uh, access to some mentorship uh, costs as well. Okay, next slide, please. So this is the final one, uh, and you'll be glad I'm going to be quiet after this. So this is just really um, a, a, um, um, an invitation to have a look at this. So I haven't just kind of given the guidance and, and left it at that. I really need people to get on and implement this now, you know, and anything that I can do to support that uh, is only going to serve uh, my case. So I really would love you to have a look at the materials that we've made available that might help you to get things started or help you to understand the scheme more that you would want to, you know, be involved in and release your, you know, your young clinicians to participate. So there's a, a website link at the top there. I know people are sometimes put off by needing to create a password and we all forget our passwords, don't we? But um, we, we do have to have a, a password protected site for, for various reasons, which I won't go into. But if you do join that, that number one there, that is what the website looks like. So, you know, it's really simple to navigate, very functional. And you'll find a host of things on there, including um, a, a discussion forum so you can test ideas with other people who are delivering the scheme or may have uh, found um, barriers that you might not be aware of or solutions to barriers that, that you are already aware of so you can share some of your good practice. That second one uh, there, that um, lessons learnt, so that, that's based on conversations that I've had with the two proof of concept systems. So there's about 10 key uh, lessons in there and some of the advice from them, some of the good practice of how they have uh, taken things forward. So uh, making sure you've got a really well engaged environment, uh, thinking about how you're going to plan and phase your offer um, and, and some you know, other great tips within that. That number three at the bottom is um, when you click uh, on the website, there's a whole list. So every single aspect, so every uh, component of the fellowship framework has each got its own section. So you can see there, uh, well, you might not be able to see that writing's tiny, sorry. But <laughs> it does, I promise you, it says peer support and it kind of has a little bit of narrative about you know, what the peer support aspect is. But then the, the middle column says low or no cost. So that's um, some links to good practice, guidance, case studies, anything that people have shared with us basically um, and think about you know I, I want to keep the cost down for this that's something that I could get uh, established quite quickly quite cheaply and then the right hand column is um, even more so there'll be some um, good, good practice if there's a guidance document that one of the organizations has written uh, for example the, the nursing induction guidance that's on there so to save you kind of doing searches I've done some of that legwork for you so so have a look on there because there might be some links that are useful to help you as you start to think how do I actually want to take forward each of these components and then the fourth and final thing um, is just a letter there so uh, all of the guidance that we write is always focused very much on systems so ICSs and STPs um, and so that letter is for uh, prospective young people who might want to join your scheme and just sets things out what, the, what their expectation might be from their point of view so you can take that off it's just a word document add your own contact details within there uh, to let them know who they need to contact if they're interested in applying and then that information's there for you so i'd invite you to have a look at all of those things and if there's anything else that that we can write or we can help with um, on your behalf all of our contact details um, can be found through that that portal as well okay you'll be pleased i've finished <laughs> you know i've been good for about a week now not done that so apologies thank you faye can we now move on to nikki so Nikki is a, a medical director of NHS England in charge of primary care, um, who was heavily involved um, in the discussions with us during the partnership review and then um, is um, obviously part of the team with Faye who's um, ensuring this is implemented. So um, Nikki, your, your thoughts and reflections on this? Well, I'll keep it quite brief, Nigel, because we've got lots of questions coming in and I'm really keen that we make sure we answer them. Um, 
first of all, huge thanks to people who've pulled this together, Faye and, um, and colleagues right across the piece, and Nigel, um, you spearheaded this um, a while back. Um, and it's great to see it come to fruition. Uh, so a couple of reflections from me. We had a similar fellowship in my place. I know that you had it in, in yours, Nigel. Um, and what we really need to be able to do is have a level of autonomy and flexibility, flexibility, um, around how um, the uh, the guidance that Faye has set out is interpreted and used. Um, it really needs to fit the uh, the individual, the practice, and and, and the team. So. Um, you know, some, some of the questions that are coming through are quite detailed and actually what we want to see is you having the ability to take that guidance and the funding and create the scheme that makes sense for your local patch. Um, and we are really keen to make sure that we, you know, that we help you to do that. Um, there, there have been some questions about whether it's mandatory. Um, I mean, it's it's not in the way that it's designed, um, but, but actually we really want everyone to have the ability to access this. We think that this is a really important part of your journey through general practice through um you know something that probably all of us felt that you know we could have benefited from and so very keen that this is offered to um uh, the majority if not all um trainees as they finish their ccts and newly qualified uh, nursing colleagues as well Um, and what we want to do is really establish general practice as a um a safe a psychologically safe space to work and so that people can get that kind of um uh contextual kind of confidence but also, for, um, particularly for our nursing colleagues, really set out general practice as a as a destination, um, as a career destination. So, as Faye said, if there are things that we can do um, that we can help to clarify to make sure that that's a reality, whether you're a GP or an, or a nurse joining the scheme, please do let us know. And Nigel, I'm happy to kind of um, hear from Samira and then go on to questions. Okay, thanks, Nikki. Um, can I welcome then Samira? who's a GP in Manchester, wears many hats, and one of them is that she's the chair of the GPC's Education and Workforce Committee, so again, has been heavily involved with Nikki and others in the design of this, and obviously from a profession's point of view, keen to see the implementation of this. So, Samira, your reflections, please. Thank you, Nigel, and thank you, Faye and Nikki. So, um, this obviously hasn't just been an overnight thing and Faye will remember we did have quite a lot of discussions over a couple of years with quite a few people so um, thanks to Nigel for first suggesting it and proposing it we're really keen that it's a positive thing it's a pull so yes it's a universal offer but it's not mandatory but people want to opt in and the way to do that is to make it really attractive and the way to do that is to make it um, address people's needs um, individual needs so it's not one size fits all and that um, there are some questions about health inequalities in in the um, Q&A section well it needs to um, address those needs by the practices because they need to employ the people and retain them and it needs to um, also address you know people have different developmental needs we do need to um, um, make sure that there isn't a you know no you can't go into that and I think this is a hugely positive opportunity it is a new scheme so there will be teething problems and i think that's why the feedback mechanisms need to be really important um, and really set up so that if there are issues as they come up we can feed it back we've always been really adamant we want it to be as open for lots of different people um, uh, whether they work less than full time whether they have different hybrid roles and i think we'd continue to push for that and i think hopefully with this scheme coming on and as it develops things will mature and perhaps widen the scope you know in terms of the people that it can actually support and with that I mean locums uh, in terms of that because they are an integral part of the workforce thank you okay we'll get on to the questions in a minute I mean I, I would just like to point out that this isn't the sole solution for general practice you know recruitment and retention not only um, we've asked for and got some input um, and resources from NHS England there's not only this there's a new partnership scheme the, the mentor scheme the retainer scheme so there's a number of incentives but as a profession we've also got to make it a better place to work. So I think this is a two-way process. So as Samira said and Nikki said and Faye said, that's why we want the PCNs to be involved. That's why we want practices to be involved and actually to make that offer to newly qualified GPs irrespective of their age, but it's for those people in the early part of their career. So let's let's get on to the questions because I think that's that will tease out a number of issues. So... Um, is this a scheme throughout England? Well, yes, it is. It's an NHS England scheme. It's not available in Scotland, Northern Ireland or Wales, as far as I'm aware. Um, 
in some areas they've got bursaries for fellowships this this hasn't got an education bursary but it's got protected time nikki any any reflection on that so it just drops out just as you're saying that, but I think you were saying that there, there are bursaries, there's protected time. And I think what we'd like to be able to see at a, particularly at a sort of system level or a training hub level is the ability to bring some, some of the schemes together in the way that Faye described. So, you know, matching the mentors to the fellows, um, but also bringing together some of those other pots. So um, in, in many areas, there are um, uh, bursaries or additional funding for leadership development, et cetera. Let's, let's bring those together. We've had to create these as... Um, slightly differentiated pots but at a, at a training hub level we should be bringing those uh, schemes together and sort of saying well actually if you've got the protected time in the fellowships you can use um, this pot of money which is available for the bursaries to create the learning environment as well so trying to join, in, join it up and make sure it reflects what that particular system and those particular fellows need. So we, we would be encouraging systems not only to support it in what NHS England provide, but actually locally, what, what additional um, resources support they can do. So you could actually be joined the new to, new to Partnership Scheme as well as being on the GP Fellowship Scheme. Yeah, okay. Um, just going through some of the questions then. Um, those that, that came off the scheme in August and may have signed contracts, um, Presumably, they're not excluded from the scheme this year. They can still join the scheme? Absolutely. Yeah, it's Faye. So uh, there's no special contract to be a fellow. It's the standard uh, you know, contract that, that the employer within you know, the practice, whoever the employer is, would, would offer. Um, but then they just kind of have this, uh, this half a day a week, a session a week overlaid uh, onto that. So if I'm sitting as a partner in a practice, this is about recruiting and retaining people and an offer to say look you know that this this is a two-year contract but actually that makes us as a practice more attractive than another practice that may not offer it that's that's one of the ways to look at it yeah and it also builds the skills of of, of those people as well so if you're thinking about building a pipeline of your you know partners of the future and, and such like and um, this you know grow those uh, non-clinical skills as well and that would also mean then that it doesn't really matter about terms and conditions because actually it's the terms and conditions the practice have given you for your um, your model contract or the contract you've got with general practice. Okay, um, it's written as an entitlement for new GPs. Samira, you, I think you said this isn't a contractual obligation for practices, but we do hope that not only newly qualified GPs will want this, but also practices will find it useful. It's, well, it's a universal offer, as Faye said, and I think the funding's been made available. So um, we're, we're, you know, use it or lose it. And I think that's why in terms of why it's gone to STP, um, we welcome the flexibility with which how that can be delivered. And we know that people have been going with this um, offer to practices and saying, do you offer it? And I think this is, and it's hard when you start, but actually this is useful to negotiate because as a GP, you tend to negotiate your contract maybe or then more often than others where hospitals have standard contracts so I think it is important that you see it as a bonus and, and ask practices do they offer it um, your PCN and if not can you actually make that happen because we know that not all um, not all areas have, have necessarily got things in place okay so let's go to the wicked question then which somebody's going to ask the reimbursement level um, is is not uh, for a session you have to pay a locum a salary doctor or a partner it's below that so how, how does that work out Okay. Yeah, so we looked at the average starting salaries for each of those, and we're not saying that this is for backfill. Uh, we're saying that it's uh, to reimburse you for the fact that you will have paid a salary to the individual and you will not be utilising their, their time. Okay. Um, the fellowships start in August, but presumably people can start later if they join a practice now. They don't have to wait till next August to start the scheme. Yeah, it's, a, it's the, the scheme just keeps running and you, you know, you should be um, recruiting people to it as, as soon as they're available. As soon as they start a, a salaried or partnership post, you should get them, them signed up. So whenever they're ready, as long as they didn't qualify any longer than 12 months ago, then, then they're uh, eligible. So we had quite a lot of discussions in the partnership review about early career GPs, middle career GPs and later career GPs. So there is a question about... This scheme is for early career GPs, so the newly qualified, not for those who are qualified five years ago. So, Nikki, do you, do you want to just make any comments about that? 
Yeah, I think um, what we've tried to do is find, um, so the needs of early career GPs, mid-career and later career are, are different. You know, we want different things in different phases of our case, not, not, not completely and not always and not all the time, but broadly what we've tried to do, and um, Faye, myself, uh, Samira, and our colleagues have done a huge number of sort of focus groups, learned from the partnership review as well to understand what do our colleagues need at different phases of their career? And how do we create um, initiatives and funding which will allow people to stay in general practice um, and crucially enjoy being in general practice? And again, they, that, that's going to be a different set of things at different phases. So, um, you know, the, the particular attraction I think about this scheme is it is that glide path after you've finished your CCT or if you're in nursing coming into general practice. And it does... Um, uh, really neatly, and I appreciate that won't necessarily happen in the early days, but really neatly tie in with the supporting uh, mentorship scheme. So it allows those in later careers who, you know, might want to do fewer sessions, but actually have the expertise, have the experience um, to, uh, you know, give back to the to to our newer colleagues. Um, and those those schemes sit really nicely together. And actually, Faye, um, I, I, I'm not sure we've got it easily to hand, but um, on our website, we've got a nice little matrix of the different schemes and the different parts of a, uh, in this case, a, a GP's career that they, that those schemes sit aside so that there are, there are things, there are opportunities and resources for people throughout their career. I mean, that would be helpful to share. Um, um, let, let's, people working full-time can do this for two years. So if people are going to work less than full-time, or they have a, a maternity leave in the middle. What, what's Samira? What's what? What happens then? Can they? Is the two years extended? Can they have a break from maternity leave and come back to this? So um, I'll just report what our understanding is, and obviously Faye can then clarify in terms of the implementation. Our understanding is there is some discretion up to eighteen months, but local systems may have more discretion. Um, to extend the offer up to 18 months but because it's a modular delivered fellowship you can step on and step off just the same as you know I did GP training less than full time because it's repeated I didn't miss out and I think that's really important because if you don't do that you will immediately ex exclude a whole group of people. I see nods from Nikki and Faye so I'll, I'll assume that's uh... yes I think I think it's described it really nicely so Either our colleagues who are doing um, a, a different pattern of sessions, so a different number of sessions because they have other commitments or responsibilities, or in, you know, in the case of maternity um, or paternity care, um, local systems can make a more flexible agreement. And again, in the guidance pack, there is some guidance about how those sessions can be phased over a longer period of time. I mean, we're massively supportive of flexible working arrangements that runs through all of the initiatives that we've described. Um, and it would be absolutely bothering of us not to support that. So uh, particularly for system leaders who are listening to this, for training hub colleagues, you know, really think about how we build retention and, a, a, you know, a big part of building retention is, is, that, is that flexibility. Okay, so Faye, can I just go back to you about your your figures? So you've got three thousand people, three thousand two hundred and fifty people um, get the certificate of completion of training. Um, Secretary of State wants six thousand more GPs, so it's really important that not only do we get those people into the substantive workforce, but we don't lose the ones at the end. But you, I think your figures have confused people somewhat. So let me just clarify what you're saying. So we lose 9% of those, those graduates. It's not that, so they, they may, people who finish may go into partnership, may go to salaried roles, may go to locums, and then there's 9% who don't go into any of those, not 9% go into locum work. No, so, yeah, so I can see where the confusions come from. So 9% don't go into salaried or partnership roles. So if you think about um, NWRS, so the National Workforce Reporting System, so that's our data source, so that's how, how you know, we, we know. So as you've said, we get them in and then we can see they should nicely show up in into the workforce um but it's that nine percent what um kind of the point that i was trying to make was i'm not claiming that we can save nine percent by making this great attractive thing because actually we don't know what uh, the breakdown is within that nine percent so some of them will go into the workforce so some of that nine percent will locum so they will show up in those locum figures but there will be some who don't show up at all because of traveling childcare family arrangements you know whatever okay. their personal circumstances and just to be clear to everybody this isn't being anti-locums what it 
part of this was a response to the fact that the numbers of locums were increasing year on year with the number of salaried and partnership numbers falling. And if that trend continued, general practice would implode because we wouldn't have anybody working in general practice. So um, somebody made the comment in here, we do value the locum workforce. Um, they are a really important part of the workforce, but you can't have 44,000 GPs all working as locums because it just wouldn't. Nigel, it's yeah. worth just saying on the locum workforce, what we want to do is create ways of working that offer the opportunities that locuming offers. So the flexibility, the variation in practice, the variation in style of session. Um, I guess, uh, so, so our local workforce is hugely valued. We, we, we often talk about what else we can do to support local communities. Um, but what COVID has shown us is that there's a real risk of um, employment destabilisation for those individuals as well. So our ability to create kind of more flexible packages where you can work as a local but have some support to sort of stay within core service, whether that's with one practice or a number, is, is really key. Yeah, agree. Samira? Yeah, I was going to say, actually, um, that a lot of them are working in general practice, but just in different roles. And actually, it's flexibility. Um, and actually, we can pick up why do locums choose to work in that way and try and incorporate that into substantive posts. And I think, so, so again, it co goes back to the positive, the pull that will then bring people into posts. Um, one suggestion is actually, if we open these schemes up to locums, we will then have far better quality data because people will then be linked into the wider system. So that's something to think about as well in terms of the secondary gain from, from, from that. So, um, but obviously that, that might be a longer term aspiration. Okay. Um, what support is there for the system, the ICS, to help make the decisions on who will be the deliverer of fellowship programmes? I mean, Faye, I mean, I presume that I, you, you, in the documentation, every ICS has got a bit, have a senior responsible officer and a programme manager. Um, it's basically um, ICS's STPs, please could you get on with this? And I know I, I'm in three STP areas and we're working very hard with each of them to make sure we've got this um, program out there and delivered because you see it's probably one of the most key workforce issues that we've got. Nothing more to add? No, systems, you know, you have the autonomy that, you know, to, to get on and make it happen. And hopefully your local partners are integrated with you that, you know, you kind of it almost instinctively know who, you know, has the best capability, capacity to be able to take this uh, forward for you. Um, we do have a, a system development team, though. So if this feels like a, an issue that people would like some support with, then I'm happy to take that back to Jackie White on, on that team who, who directs that, that area. And as a chief executive of an LMC, I would also uh, argue that the LMC should be pushing quite hard to the local systems to make this work because this will, this will support general practice. Um, okay, the, are the mentors or supervisors within the practice you're working? Well, the answer to that, no, isn't it? This is looking at mentors outside the practice. So you've got independent, somebody you can have a sounding board you can talk to, not somebody who's your employer or the um, older partner in the practice. That, yeah. Um, local delivery organisations, is there an infrastructure or setup support? Is the delivery element um, headcount pro rata? When will the money actually land? So again, my understanding is the money's sitting at region. We appoint locally and we can pull the money down, but we have to make sure we've got the system set up so it's robust and transparent and there will be a reporting mechanism to assure that it's working properly which any sort of assurance process, would that, would that be fair? Yeah, so, so it's for systems to engage with the regional NHS England and improvement colleague. Uh, it's very likely that they would pump prime to allow it to be established. And then it, after that point, it will be on a kind of a uh, very crudely paper deliver. Uh, I don't know what the right term would be, but, you know, dependent on how many um, of the, the newer uh, end of the workforce, those newly qualified GPs and nurses you recruit, that's how much kind of quarterly money you would get from that point. Okay, Nikki, you've got somebody who works part-time in a hospice, part-time in a general practice. So presumably they could join the scheme, but they would be doing, would, would that be seen as a whole-time equivalent or would it be seen as a part-time? It's a good question. I mean, it depends on how it's uh, set up. So in our 
So when we fested these uh, very similar fellowships in Mile Patch, uh, that was seen as a full-time fellowship um, because it was something that was sort of sitting in primary care and the community. Um, what we'd like to see is training hubs think about, or training hubs or the delivery organisation, think about sort of the quantum of the, the fellowship offer. So, um, you know, if you if you are going for sort of more hybrid schemes um, like that, then, you know, I've, I've no issue with that as long as, We've got some sessions being delivered in general practice, some sessions being delivered in another kind of uh, clinical area that um, that person is interested, passionate about, and that they've got access to the training and support that we've described. Okay, thank you. Um, The the mentors, uh, there's been quite a few questions about um, where you get them from. So I think you covered that, Faye, and I think uh, Samira did as well. So we're looking for to retain GPs towards the end of their career. So this is giving sessions, so they might reduce their clinical work, but like some appraisers do, this would be those sessions. So where does the money to pay the mentors come from? Okay. So that's a separate pot. So that's the supporting mentors scheme launched at the same time. The money flows in the same way. So through the region um, and it's got the two aspects to it. So uh, uh, some money to train up people. So um, I think there's a question about how much is that? So it's around about £2,500. Um, but again, to be agreed with your um, regional colleague. And then there's the money to uh, re- uh, kind of reimburse them for that session a week. Okay, so the magical £3,000, who decides where that's going to be spent? Who decides where, did you say? Or where. Where. So, so that's, you know, that, so that's the, the offer that people need to develop. So the, the money is available to the system and whoever is delivering on their behalf. And you have to look at the framework and go, you know, how, what, is my, what is my offer? So it says here that I need to deliver coaching, six coaching sessions. So um, can I do that in-house? Have I got staff? that can already do that do I need to buy in a private company okay I have to buy somebody and that's going to cost me 500 pounds and you're going to have to you know tot it all up and build your plan in that way so it's for the system or whoever is delivering on behalf of the system to to make that choice and what you you keep talking about training hubs so the training hubs and HEE what's what's their role in this yeah, so, um, you know, we really see the training hub as being that kind of central um, place uh, within primary care that looks after the, the learning, training, development needs for, for all of the staff. So, uh, you know, not just GPs and nurses, but, you know, as we get the additional roles coming through, the, the physiotherapists, pharmacists and such like, they should uh, lead on a lot of the offers. We do know that, you know, some are kind of uh, bigger and further advanced than others. Um, so we would... Uh, be interested in them playing a role but you know equally as you've said there Nigel if you have a preference at your LMC or federation or somebody else takes that forward then that's also fine and that's you know the system's choice. Okay loads of discussions about health inequalities. Um, Samira do you, do you think there's a risk that this scheme will be attractive to the more affluent areas and it will just drive greater health inequalities? I think that's where the system and whoever's delivering it needs to look at where they can focus and make those offers a bit more attractive in the areas such as health inequalities, um, such as population health, uh, whether they are developing perhaps um, roles in research, um, uh, um, community health service delivery. And I think we it, there is, needs to be a balance because actually most areas that have retention problems are not in the most affluent and um, areas. So I think you do need to have the responsibility in terms of the system and those that are delivering it. And I would say actually those that are putting the offers and proposals forward to draw down on the money, that needs to be looked at at the system, at the system level and that needs to be appraised on there because health inequalities we've seen with covid it's uncovered and it's put a huge light on it and actually it's part of our responsibility in terms of where we focus workforce we, that needs to be a top priority right and um when you when you're looking at the scheme is, is the money available now so have region got it for the local system to pull down when they've got the schemes up and running so the regions are uh, likely to get the money at the end of this month. So it hasn't actually, it's not sitting in their bank account, but we would in, they have had letters outlining exactly how much the money is, and that's both the region and the system and, and others. So people know how much they're going to uh, receive. And so you should just go on and deliver as if you, you have that money because it, it's coming really soon. So to answer somebody's question, this isn't the same as the RCGP Fellowship. 
as I explained before, we changed the name for a preceptorship to fellowship because people understood what fellowship was when they didn't understand what preceptorship is. So I'm, I'm sorry if we've confused people with the terms. Um, somebody's asked about Hampshire and Isle of Wight. If they email me, I'll tell you how it's going to work in Hampshire and Isle of Wight. Um, uh, we've talked about that. I just wanted to make a point actually about standard contracts. We do have a standard contract in terms of the BMA salary contract, but it's really important that there are no less favourable terms offered. So if people are having difficulties, we want to hear back from them in terms of having that additional CPD and professional development session. But certainly from a clinical contract, there is that and they need to reference that um, when, when undertaking um, the salary role. But the CPD bits, we, I'm, I'm sure there'll be teething problems if people have already signed contracts. We do need to hear about that and see how we can address that. Can we just pick up then the PCN role in this? So, you know, I can see from a practice point of view, this offers there. So, you know, somebody, we recruit a GP and say, yeah, you know, this is part of the, the offer we've got for you. You know, come and work with us um, and you'll get this protected time and there's funding that comes into practice. That's great. So if I'm sitting in a PCN and say, well, obviously this person I've employed in my practice, but... There's, there's got to be something within the PCN in rotating round. What, what's the incentive for the PCN to do that? Nikki? So I, think, well, I, saw, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I think there's two main things for me um, that PCN will find valuable. One is the, uh, the rotational kind of portfolio element, so being able to build up a, a team of uh, colleagues who are on the fellowship scheme who are learning and developing, particularly in the second half of that first year, a range of other skills. So, for example, um, you mentioned the example of somebody who's working in the hospice. You know, that is a, that is a fantastic skill that is going to be um, essentially, a, you know, a, a skill for that PCN to build up a servicing around and um, so I think that's one thing I think the other thing is um, resilience um, you know uh, and we've seen that this you know the last six months more than more than anything the ability of practices to work together um, as, as a network as a, as a team um, you know without having to merge or anything like that means that you've got a, a level of resilience in the workforce and um, as these fellows come into play you're able to then build some resilience across practices as well um, and it gives those fellows a chance to work at different practices so I think you know there's a there, there are a number of reasons why PCNs will want to do this um, uh, both in terms of building the GP and the nursing workforce but but also ultimately um, designing uh, different care offers for for patients as well. Faye were you going to say something about that? Um, nothing more than than, uh, than Nikki said. You know, hopefully the kind of the people plan and and, and other things have kind of given people um, an incentive, and not that you ever needed permission, but you know, to to think about workforce in that scaled way. So do some workforce planning across a broader footprint, rather than each practice kind of feeling responsible for filling their 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 little bit. It's just kind of having that broader point of view, and it'd be really great if people kind of came up with a, a directory of need, um, and so thinking about what are the opportunities and start to build that and then thinking about you know as enhanced health and care homes comes through is that an opportunity you know a rotational working opportunity for um the the newly qualified clinicians okay samira if somebody qualified in um november 19 so before the august can they still join the scheme or is that is it sort of it's 12 months it's 12 months i am aware that certain training hubs have really tightened up their criteria because there are concerns around funding so they're worried about the numbers um, but it is 12 months so it you know it, it should be open for 12 months and if people have had breaks due to sickness and maternity then it's longer than that so yeah it should be on offer and they should um just you know obviously take the guidance and and and, and explore that further if, if there has been refusal so, uh, William uh, Greenman from Cheshire LMC. Thanks, William. Yeah, I'm not surprised your LMC is involved. I, I would encourage all LMCs to work collaboratively with the ICS and others to make the scheme work. Nigel, uh, yeah. just on that, we just because we've got a great audience, um, we'd say the same for all of our schemes, actually, including the ARRS, and um, you know, often in underspend type conversations. Please work with your LMCs. I mean, this is this is exactly what LMCs are for. We're trying to write it in where we can. We've got some great examples of where LMCs have been able to kind of broker the conversation in a much more creative way. Um, so, so massive support from our end uh, to to do that. 
Um, somebody's asked about the nursing scheme. I mean, I apologise. You know, th- I'm a GP. I work for the LMC. This this is focused on the GP aspect of it. You know, I'm really pleased. This is a primary care fellowship scheme. So in an hour, we can't cover everything. Um, and maybe we'll talk to Nikki and Faye and do a separate one for nurses. But um, newly qualified nurses, it's an important, um, uh, you know, trying to get more nurses into general practice, particularly those early in their career is really important. So I apologise that this is more focused on the GP scheme, but there's a lot of um, similarities between the two schemes. They, they do run in parallel. Um, can you be refused funding if too many GPs signed up to a local scheme? So I presume the answer is no, because you want everybody to be offered. Um, we've talked so about I guess it goes yeah. back to not being, um, whilst it isn't mandatory, um, we really want this to be a universal offer for GPs and nurses. It should be, it's almost, if I could design the curriculum, what we do, isn't it, in terms of making sure that people are safely supported into practice. And so we could never have too many people doing it. Um, Question, what are you going to do if you don't get enough mentors? I have to say, we've gone out and started looking for mentors in Hampshire and got quite a lot of people come forward interested in it but if you don't I mean my reading of your guidance is that a mentor may be mentoring four or five GPs not just one but if there aren't enough mentors so it you know it's up to you to utilize that three thousand pounds in any which way that you choose so you know if you can use the supporting mentor scheme money that's even better because that's less of a pressure on your three thousand but you can purchase um, mentorship from a, a private organisation. The Leadership Academy um, actually have a, a national database. They have one for coaches, one for mentors, and there's approximately 3,000 people on each of those. So I think there, there is um, kind of a, a wealth of people already uh, trained and out there. Um, and so, you know, I think that there's a resource to, to tap into and it's for you to kind of be creative and, and you know, deliver what feels most appropriate to your, your local need. We're talking about flexibility then. So could an innovative P- PCN, so you've got somebody who's working in practice, but the practice isn't keen to release them. Could the PCN employ them for that one session a week to do some innovative things in the PCN? Could we, could we look at flexibility like that? Presumably that's subcontracting. So we need to organise it through the practice. Yeah, and I wouldn't know about the, you know, whether a PCN actually can be an employer in terms of, you know, so there might be some... Um, uh, you, well, we might be able to... I just I just want to confirm, Nigel, but um, we've got some great examples of how federations are acting as a kind of convener delivery organisation. So that would be the other way that we could do that and we can confirm that. I don't think it, I don't think it needs us to particularly change your guidance. I think right. that we just need to have that kind of can-do... I mean, a, a personal view is as we as PCNs develop more and more of the additional roles come in, some are going to set themselves up as limited companies or whatever to hold that risk in a in a combined organisation with everybody got um, shares in it effectively, which could be the employer of the ARRS roles, but also for something like this could do it or the federation, as Nikki says. So, okay, I think I think that's the sort of perhaps want to take away and think about but um, things that we can do within the scheme to make this as attractive as possible um, are important um, so let's go on this a bit about salaries um, so areas that are already running schemes I mean presumably what they need to do is review their schemes take this scheme into account and see this, this isn't to replace existing schemes this is potentially on top of existing schemes so yeah. we'd like local areas to, to continue to sort of supporting it and developing it. Would that be fair? Yeah, and we don't want any good practice to be lost. So, you know, if you already have a, a coaching scheme in place, then don't bin that off and, and buy some private company in because, you know, you, you think that that feels like good practice or something. You know, we need you to build on what already, you know, is already in play, already happening. And I think I'd like to see it as the fellowship is kind of the umbrella. So, you know, you might already have some bits and bobs um, underway that feel like they relate to the fellowship scheme. Well, this kind of draws them all together into that single offer. So it doesn't feel like disparate initiatives it's kind of you know a, a unified um, offer so I, I think you know just try and think of it in in that way 
And right. one of the things, sorry, that we would be keen on from is in terms of the evaluation. So I think we're really keen on having a structured evaluation just so that we could see what the benefits were, but also perhaps what the true costs of delivering a scheme and what how you could do this. And we're aware that different schemes have worked and operated, but that was perhaps under different financial structures. So for us to really truly evaluate, we'd need to know what is possible under the current costings. And that if not, how we can swap things around or, you know, have some flexibility elsewhere. So I think that's one of the things we'd be keen to um, reflect on. So somebody's put in about there's a massive mid-career recruitment issue. Um, I think we'd all agree with that. If you've got ideas about schemes that might retain people in their mid-career, please let uh, any of us know because, um, you know, the, these schemes have come out of much discussion between people looking at those three, you know, the early, mid and late career. So this is focused on early career. But if people have got ideas what would retain people in their mid-career, you know, a personal view is the first thing we'll do is make general practice a, a better and a fun place to work because if we can do that, then that makes the job more doable. Um, and actually, if we make the workload um, reasonable for a day's work, not that it goes on very late in the evening or you go home absolutely shattered, again, that will retain people. And we'll, if, if we'll go on for another couple of minutes and then we're going to run out of time. Um, and hopefully one or two of you may be able to stay on afterwards and we'll go through some of the questions and then release those answers later. So um, the less than full time, um, do you have to do um, less than one session per week? Therefore, no, I don't understand that question. You say it's modular. Are we to create content for these new GPs at a local level or will it be pre-produced um, as some of the 10 components. I mean, I think you partially answered that, Faye, haven't you? you? You set out the 10 components, but how, how it's delivered locally is up to local. Yep, and you might choose to use, uh, you know, the leadership example, the Edward Jenner programmes. It's an existing programme. It's free of charge, um, but, you know, you use the release time to allow people to um, sit and participate in that self-directed learning. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a mixed approach, exactly as you described there, Nigel. So somebody's asked about the COVID fund, but again, let me be absolutely clear. My reading of the guidance is there is money available for every GP who wants to go on this scheme, who, who qualifies for it. So that money will be available ultimately at region to be pulled down. So it's not a case of it's bidding for it and it's restricted. Is that correct? Right. Absolutely. So let's just have a look. Not all areas have PCN maturity to offer portfolio or PCN level working at present. How can we, in, how does that work? And how can we support PCNs to be able to do this? So I think I can describe how you could take an approach in the early days. Um, and I think for um, to start with, um, the, those people, the, the new qualified GPs and nurses could do, for example, some shadowing. So they could um, follow um, a senior clinician. They could follow a practice manager to you know, see how their, their day works. And then I think people have opportunities to build relationships with other practices. So it might not be at a PCN level, but you might have a neighbouring practice um, who you could kind of do an exchange with and start to do uh, kind of build the, the rotational uh, work in, in, in that kind of way. Nigel, is it just worth saying, I know we've said lots of times, but PCNs are on very different journeys. Um, I think <clears throat> everywhere, including us, not necessarily for myself, but us sort of more nationally as well as sort of locally, people often describe PCNs as though they're all you know the same entity with the same types of people doing the same things and in the same phase of development and we know they're not and that's a really obvious thing to say but I think it's really important to kind of recognize that there is a um, there, there is that kind of bell-shaped curve and different PCNs will need a different type of support from their commissioners from their systems from the federations um, so so we don't expect everything to be kind of motoring straight away much as we wish it could be. I think it's important, it's going back to the, there's not one size fits all. And I, I, well, in Manchester, we had neighbourhoods that predated PCNs and they talked about how they could support their practice nurses. You know, so, so I think it's really important not to label yourself as not being able to do something potentially just because of where you're at. It, actually, this is really important in terms of the learning. So what other alternatives or options that do come up with, it would be really helpful to share that. So I think... Um, 
things won't be done in the same way at the same level at the same stage we know that with the training hubs we know that pcns we know that with practices that's the great thing about general practice i think it's really important to keep an open mind in terms of what um, options would be made available um somebody's asked about you know they've recently qualified and they're locoming because they haven't found a salary post or a partnership they want at the moment and it seems a shame that they're excluded from the scheme. I mean, I would just reiterate, when this was designed, it was a part of an incentive to, to increase the substantive workforce. But I think, as Samira says, you know, th this is a starting point to be developed. And I think the locum workforce are really important. And there are, there are different ways which we can support it. Um, and I think that's part of the sort of future development of these discussions. So um, I'm... Really sorry that I think we could go on for a lot longer and I'm sure our panellists um, need to get away. So thank you, panellists, for joining this discussion. Can I thank the participants? I think Samira is going to stay on for a minute, hopefully. I know Nikki's got to go, but if Faye can stay on for a few minutes, um, we'll try and go through some more questions. Um, we will end the webinar, but we'll record it and release those questions later. So thank you to all the panel and thank you to everybody um, for attending today. Thank you. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.